All right, so uh, best I can tell, we've got two more subjects after today. We'll, we'll finish today. Today's pretty short. Uh, one is called Law and Liberty. That might take us, um, got to try to connect my pen here. That might take us two weeks, and then we have eternal security. And I, How long have we been doing this book? That was my last March. Yeah. This is a monumental feat, actually. I can't believe we actually did this. Uh, this is crazy. But I'm very thankful we have. I don't know where we're going next. Uh, I've got to figure that out. All right, now we're rocking. All right, so it's interesting. You know, we've been doing this since last March, and Sunday I preached on Romans 8, and Wednesday we're in Romans 8, and I don't plan these things. So this is a little bit of a review from what we're talking about Sunday. Uh, Zimic does a good job, but like I said Sunday, when you get into the subject of the mind, there are so many passages and there's so much stuff to consider and talk about. It's, it's very similar to repentance, how Nathan walked through that. In fact, we're going to have some overlap with the idea of repentance. Because when you talk about the mind, um, you can't separate that from the heart or the soul. Because remember, the Bible keeps us as one. You don't have parts. There's not parts of you. Your heart doesn't go one way and your mind goes the other way. It just moves, okay? The only distinguishing thought that you might have is the heart is more driven toward, and again, this is a stretch, desire, emotion, feeling, whereas the mind is supposed to be more thoughtful, uh, pragmatic, those sort of things. But they're going in the same direction, so I don't even know if that helps you distinguish in, the, in that relationship. But nonetheless, you get a lot of passages uh, with the idea of the mind. So here's a question for you. I'll try to walk through this with questions. Is the mind depraved? Has the mind been radically affected by sin? Cody's has. Anyone else? It has. And, and this is the part where people kind of get tripped up because they think of a human being in different parts. Like, well... We know what Scripture says in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is more deceitful than any other thing, right? Uh, it's desperately sick. Who can understand it? So, okay, well, uh, my heart's that way. My mind's not because my mind can still reason. No, they're the same thing. Just as the heart is depraved and wicked and deceitful, your mind is working off the same circuit. There's no, there's no difference here. Uh, so when you read Jeremiah 13, 23, can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Then you also can do, then you also can do good who are accustomed to doing evil. You can't do good who are accustomed to doing evil. I must have left a word out of my notes. But you can't do anything about that. No more than an Ethiopian can change the color of his skin or a leopard his spots. You can't change your depraved mind. It's fallen. It's sick. It's affected by sin. You can't fix that. Uh, and so we understand that it's only through the gospel that you get a new heart. It's only through the gospel that God renews this mind. Uh, and we looked at this Sunday, and I think I'll come across some more of those passages that we looked at Sunday. Uh, here's the passages that reference the mind. Did it change? Yes. Romans 128. 
And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind. Now, Romans 1 is a little bit of a progression where you're fallen, but then God continues to hand you over to all sorts of foolishness and immorality and the long list of Romans 1. And you can't call that into question because we live in the midst of that right now. We live in a very depraved nation. Very depraved. It's like they're making stuff up. And you have to realize that God's on the other side of that, just letting them go down into their own depravity. He's not generating depravity. He's letting them go down into their own depravity. Which reminds us of grace because the reason that you and I don't walk in sinful depravity and foolishness and immoralities is because God's holding us up. And you need to remember that. It's grace that sustains us. Okay, If he were to let us go, we plunge deeper. Ephesians 4.17, another passage, This I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, the uselessness is another word for that, darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them, because of the hardness of their heart. Notice how that does there. This is what I'm talking about, if my pen will work. Mind, hardness of their heart. You can't separate them, okay? He's trying to demonstrate that. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of evil. And then here again, although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, and you were engaged in evil deeds. So, you know, you run into these theological books in the New Testament that Paul's writing, you're going to run into the issue of the mind because Paul always wants to demonstrate there's something wrong with your thinking before Christ. It doesn't work. It's not Godward. It's right the other way. Okay? And again, I mean, we've, we've grown up. Miss um, Berman's probably seen a little bit longer stretch than we have, how we've removed God and turned away from God. And all of these crazy ideas have become just commonplace now. They're accepted. You know, can you imagine the church um, when the idea of evolution was first introduced? They'd actually laughed at that. What ignorance. Now it's, it's fairly accepted even among professing Christians that that's just what happened, you know? So it's amazing how we start out laughing so dismissive of it, like gender identity in our day, complete ignorance. If the Lord doesn't come back, you do realize in 20, 30 years, there'll be professing believers go, yeah, it's, it's a thing, it's a real thing, it's okay, relax, those sort of things. That's how we progress. Anyway, so this is always brought up, the mind, the mind, the mind. Anytime you're dealing with fallenness, Paul's going to bring us to the mind. Now, it is the Lord that grants repentance. We see this in the heart. You see this in the mind. Uh, when they heard this, they quieted down, glorified God, saying, well, God has granted to the Gentiles repentance that leads to life. And so even, and I'm about to show you a ton of passages where God calls us to repentance, but the turn itself is a work of grace. Because remember, you're depraved of mind. You can't see truth, comprehend truth. All of a sudden, the lights come on, and you've got to glorify God for the fact that the lights came on. 
because he was behind turning the lights on, right? So he grants repentance, and yet we're called to repentance. All kinds of Old Testament, New Testament passages. Yet even now declares the Lord in Joel, Return to me with all your heart, and with fasting and weeping and mourning, rend your heart and not your garments. Now return to the Lord, for he is gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and relenting of evil. So this is one of those things that we hold in balance. And if you get it out of balance, you're going to have messed up theology. You're called to repentance. You're responsible. God grants repentance out of grace. And you only realize that, I've come to understand, once you're repentant, you realize that it is God who worked that into your heart, and the only thing you can do is praise Him for it. You know? Uh, well, I won't be able to think of His name now. Anyway, I'll skip that. Matthew 3.2, Jesus' sermon, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand, or the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Acts 3, Repent and return so that your sins may be wiped out in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray that the Lord, if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven. So you've got a depraved heart, you've got a depraved mind, and yet God calls you to repentance. And again, apart from His grace, there will be no turning. A few other passages... God is declaring to all men that all people everywhere should repent. Um, and now, okay, so let's turn from the heart to the mind. Just like there is a call for you to rend your, not your garments, but rend your heart and turn to God, there's also a call for you to set your heart and mind on the Lord. Joshua 24, put away the foreign gods which are in your midst, incline your heart to the Lord. First Chronicles, set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord. Arise, therefore, build the sanctuary of the Lord God. Second Chronicles, set your heart to seek God. Ezra 7.10, by the way, I was called into ministry on that passage. Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord, to practice it, to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. So, here we go. I don't know how long now, 20-something years um, in ministry. And Bible study is my thing. There's very few things that can disrupt that. It's got to be like a serious need from somebody because it's my thing that I enjoy the most. And I can't take credit for that. Even though I set my heart to it, I know who turned my heart on to it. In fact, 25 years ago, my prayer was, Lord, give me a passion for your word. Because I didn't have it. I didn't want to read it. Paige bought me my first Bible, one-year study Bible. I forgot what she wrote. I just remember love page in there. Didn't even want to read it. Read it once. I'm like, I'm good. Read through the whole thing. And then I began to pray that. And it was the Lord turned in my heart. And now I can sit there for hours on end. Just read it. Because he has been faithful in so many ways, right? So there is human responsibility. Set your heart, but you'll find in the setting of your heart, your heart is weak, doesn't want to do the things that it knows to do. So you begin to cry out to God to make your heart in that way. 
men, you don't want to lead your family. You, you're uncomfortable in prayer. You're uncomfortable in, in reading the word to your family. It's your responsibility to do those things. So what do you do? You set your heart, then get on your knees and beg God to give you a heart that will gird you up and give you a passion for those things. When we started, I didn't even like praying with our kids 20 years ago. Now we do it every night. Don't get too Audrey every night. Every night, call Jonathan, pray with him on the phone, call Abby, and it's not weird for them because we've done it for 20 years. They call us. It's not a forced thing at all. It's just something the Lord has done. We asked him to do it. He did it, right? Human responsibility, grace. Okay? Psalms 119, I have inclined my heart to perform your statutes. That's another thing, keeping the word of God. You better set your heart to keep the word of God, but you're going to find yourself weak, distracted, all sorts of things. So that's when you find yourself on your face praying, God, help me keep your word. Give me a heart to keep your word. All right, so again, all those passages communicating those two eternal truths. But this is how the Lord does it in the gospel. And this is what we were talking about Sunday. Romans 8. And, you know, I brought this up. This is not a command. Okay? This is not an indicative. You need to do this. This is simply describing what the Spirit of God has done at your conversion. Okay? What the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but we walk according to the Spirit. For those who are in line with the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are in the Spirit or according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. The mindset on the flesh is death. The mindset on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, does not subject itself to the law of God, it's not even able to do so. Those who are in the flesh can't please God. Two mindsets. If you're born again and the Spirit of God dwells in you, you have the mindset of the Spirit. You don't work for that. You don't achieve that. It's something that He's done for you. 1 Corinthians 2 describes it as the mind of Christ. You have the mind of Christ. That's a reality. Now, when you read that, you probably come under conviction because you realize sometimes my mindset is turned toward the things of the world. So there's a little bit of a correction in the passage, but it's not in the grammar. Um, Martin Lloyd-Jones said, it's like telling someone, if you touch that fire, you're going to get burned. And that's not a command. You know, you tell your kids, stay away from that fire. That's a command. But you don't do adults that way. We might simply say, the stove's hot. I didn't command you, but you understand. If I touch that stove, I'm going to burn my hand, right? So Paul kind of leaves it like this. You've been given the mindset of the Spirit. It's there. And just the reality of that 
should do something in your heart to make you realize, well, wait a minute. There's a battle that's going to take place. Where's my mind, my heart, where is it going to linger toward, you know, every day as I walk through life? Is it going to lean toward the spirit, walk in that direction, or is it going to turn and, and go toward the flesh? But you've got the mindset of the spirit. You have that. Now, here's what it does, because we talk about this all the time. Right there. Cody, what's this word? Upatasso. Now, this is the part that gets me with the mind. And if I, if I could, I'd go around the room. If I knew all of y'all's little buttons, I'd push your button on purpose to figure out what thing riles you up the most that you're so committed to, you're so convinced of. Y'all just spend a little bit in your own mind trying to figure what that is. You know, if I brought up a subject, you'd want to take over the conversation because you know all about that. Okay? We've all got something. Now, here's where the mindset of the Spirit works in you because we are that way toward things in life. We think we have particular things figured out in life. But the mindset of the Spirit pushes you away from those sort of things and humbles you in order that your mindset may line up with the Word of God and not what you think. I know we've all had conversations with lost people. All had conversations with lost people in our own family. And they'll tell you exactly what they think about God, about heaven, about salvation. You know, I have conversations with people at work, never set foot in the church Never read the Bible, yet if you ask them about God, they'll describe Him in great detail. They know all about that. And if you ask them about the next life, they'll, they'll tell you. You see, that's not the mindset of the Spirit because the mindset of the Spirit is willing to let what you think change and line up with the Word of God. That's what the mindset of the Holy Spirit does. Because you didn't come pre-programmed with all the answers about anything. Right? If you want to get... Some of you women riled up. Let another woman come in here. Start talking about how you need to do homeschooling. Oh, you'll see a lot of women get in the flesh real quick. Or jump into a group of women and say, well, you need to send your kids to homeschool. Or, well, you need to send your kids to public school. Well, no, I think it's better to homeschool. And, and watch the argument break out. It's just all kinds of stuff. Wait till next year when we vote a president. People's got it all figured out. This is what you need to do. Um, the mindset of the Spirit doesn't work that way. The mindset of the Spirit is humble, and it longs for, it wants to hear from the Word of God because it understands that's where wisdom lies, period. And you let yourself change. Y'all all know how difficult it is to change your mind about a particular thing. That's the fleshly mind. It cannot be changed. It doesn't want to be changed. It's right. But the mindset of the spirits, I'm not right. I need to hear from God's word. It subjects itself to the law of God. That's what it does. I could go on about that. Um, 
All right. Here's a good, we're talking about human responsibility and God's grace. Here you go. Ephesians 4.17. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk, okay, this is a command, you walk no longer as the Gentiles walk. Stop. Stop living like the lost, okay? In the futility of their mind, they're darkened in their understanding, and it goes on and on and on. But you did not learn Christ in this way. Indeed, if you have heard from Him and have been taught in Him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old man, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of the flesh, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So here's two commands for you. You take off the old man, you put on the new man. But right in the middle, it says something that's in the passive voice that you can't do in Ephesians. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. It's passive. You don't do that. So how in the world do you do something that's passive? Why would he frame it like that? Take off the old, put on the new. Right in the middle. How do I take off the old and put on the new? Let your mind change. But it's passive. How do I set myself up to, 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 for my mind to be renewed? I'm going to let you all answer that, wrestle with that. All right. That's certainly off in the right direction. Got to be in the Word of God. That's certainly off in the right direction. That's where I'm leaning toward. You've got to be humble. Which is actually, I don't think I put it in my notes. So, do y'all remember uh, the word I told you about Sunday? It starts with a P for mindset. For neo. In the book of Philippians. Huh? We said that starts with a neo. <laughs> for neo. Uh, in Philippians, there's a compound word using that and the word humility. And Paul instructs us, in humility of mind, consider others better than yourself. So to take a passive approach to having your mind renewed is being humble toward the Spirit, being humble toward the Word of God, and allowing Him to shape and change how you think. So you take off the old, you put on the new. Where does that start? And allowing the Lord to change your mind about the old and the new. That's how that starts. Questions about that? Because that's about as pragmatic and practical as these passages get. Would you say the ability to humble your mind comes from God as well? That's one of those things. Humble your mind, he says. It's a work of God's grace. You're never going to do that in your own. No. God's not working that in you. You're never going to say, okay, I'll submit to you. Yeah. Right. That's a work of the Spirit. Humility is his work of the Spirit. Uh, who wrote that book about humility? 
Andrew Murray talks about you, you can't be saved if you're not humble. He makes a really good argument. And I think where he comes from, the gist of that is, it's the spirit that works humility in, in your heart. It's the spirit that helps you see that you're a sinner in need of repentance and faith toward God. And it's humility, how the spirit carries you along, being humble toward God in all things, right? Humble toward the word. Humble toward instruction, those sort of things. I should have put that word on here. In humility of mind. Now turn to Colossians 3 because I could not get all those passages on there. Alright, you remember when we were talking about the heart, God called us to rend our hearts, turn our hearts, right? Paul takes the same slant in Colossians except with the mind. See how far I want to go down. Uh, we'll probably go all the way to 17. All right, here we go. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, what's he talking about? What's he talking about? If you've been saved, okay? Keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of the earth. And by the way, that's your responsibility. We're back to it. You've been given the mindset by the Holy Spirit, but in Colossians, He tells you to do it. Set your mind on the things above. Not on the things of the earth. Why? Because you've died and your life now is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our very life, is revealed, then you will also be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, here's a command. Consider the members of your body as dead to immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, greed, which amounts to idolatry. Now you look at that list and you immediately need to approach that with humility of mind and examine your heart. Don't, don't, sometimes I would tell you to just read through Colossians and read through Colossians and read through Colossians in one sitting, especially if you're going to teach it. But sometimes I would tell you to take verse 5 and spend the rest of the day thinking about verse 5, read one verse. Because you need to examine your mind and go, okay, Lord, where's the greed in my life? If you don't think there's greed in your life, you probably hadn't thought about that passage very long. Okay? That's being humble toward the Word of God. Where is there immorality in my life? Where is there impurity in my life? Where is there evil desire in my life? And notice what he compares all of those things to, which amounts to idolatry. It's not as though these things are not serious. It is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience... In them you also once walked when you were living in them, but now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. There's another list. And that's something that you just got to ponder over. Jordan sent us a thing today. 
church minutes. His church has been there forever. He found church minutes from 1886. Brother J.W. something weird. For the second time, had been caught drinking and cussing. And the church voted unanimously and put him out. First time he did it, he came before the church. George found it in the minutes. And he confessed to the church and asked for forgiveness from the church. Because he got caught drinking and cussing. He wanted the church to know he didn't want any part of that. He turned around and got caught the second time. They had church church. They put him out. Now, whatever you do with that, uh, if you think that's a bit extreme, I would argue that I think we're more extreme today because we don't think very much of drinking and cussing at all anymore in the church. Um, I know in a whole number of churches where they don't have any problem with that at all. Um, but nonetheless, whatever you do with that, you do realize that you have to be humble of mind because this is one of those passages that pretty much talks about drinking and cussing. And those are the sort of lifestyles that we're not supposed to have. And so we walk in humility of mind. We receive the word of God and we allow the word of God to change who we are. Anger. Slander. Right? Do not lie to one another, verse 9, since you laid aside the old self with the evil practices and you've put on the new self, who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Now, if you'll notice, Paul said the same thing in Colossians. He said in Ephesians, you yourself have laid aside the old self in verse 9. You yourself have put on the new self in verse 10. And then the second half of verse 10, being renewed, that's not what you're doing. That's what he's doing. He's recreating you into the image of God in righteousness and holiness. That's in a passive voice. And by the way, it's in a present passive, which means God's doing this all the time. This is God's business in you, recreating you into the image of, of Him. Uh, verse 11, a renewal in which there's no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free man, but Christ is all in and all. So, verse 12, as those who are the elect of God, NAS doesn't do that right, as those who are the elect of God, holy and beloved, you yourself put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other. You know, I could do a marriage seminar on 12 and 13. Just do that with your spouse. Let's just start there, right? Have a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiving each other, right? I think we're, we're supposed to talk to Nathan and, and Abby here this weekend. Soon, soon. Yeah, this is probably one of the places that I would take them. You yourself do this. You yourself do this. You yourself be patient toward your spouse. And you're like, I, I'm not. Humility of mind. See, are you going to do what the Spirit of God is leading you to do? Or are you going to bow up? Because the Spirit of God has made you humble of mind and He instructs you the word, be patient. This is what we're talking about. I've told you this before. Uh, I can't think of his name in the Northwest. No, 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 no. The other guy, that, I'm not that bad. The other guy that was a pastor that I would 
hang out with sometime. Yeah. Yeah, we're recording. <laughs> She'll think of it in a minute because I never will. He's just talking about in his young pastorate preached one Sunday and the older lady, and I've told you all this story from the pulpit before, she was weeping at the altar, just uncontrollably weeping. So we stayed after to talk to her to comfort her and asked how we can pray for her, and she began to confess her sins. She had had a bad thought toward another lady in the church. That's it. She didn't say anything. She didn't do anything. She wasn't cold toward her. She got angry in her heart toward her, and God broke her heart, so she's up on the altar with tears rolling down her face because of what had taken place in her heart and her mind, confessing. That's humility of heart. And when I tell you that you need to be compassionate and kind and humble and gentle and patient toward your spouse, it's just like it doesn't even affect us. We need to pray that we would have the mindset of the Spirit. It's a totally different mindset. Okay? And I'll tell you this. On the other side of obedience, I'm going to tell you the key to everything. On the other side of obedience is tremendous blessing. Because if you commit yourself to obeying the Word of God in any kind of relationship, God blesses that relationship beyond marriage, beyond, beyond belief, beyond measure, I meant to say. Not marriage, beyond measure. But it's on the far side of obedience. Because if you're willing to die to yourself and walk humbly to the Word of God, you're going to find on the far side of that thing blessing beyond measure. Okay? Let me keep going. I don't even know how I got all that. Verse 14, beyond all these things, put on love, which is a perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, to which you were called in one body. Be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word, with your mouth, or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. So a humble mind would respond going, okay, I got like one year's worth of work to do in my life just out of Colossians 3. And you'd walk in obedience to those things. All right, last thing. So this is a word from Sunday, which was noose, which is often translated mind. This is the word tithemi, which means to place... Or to put. So this is why I love Greek. Put those two words together. What is he about to tell us to do? Nope. Not set. I gave you the word. Put this in your mind. Now, what's interesting about this, put this in your mind. What's interesting about this, this is the responsibility of the church. Because every time that he uses this word, he's using it in the context of the church. So if you teach in the church, or if you preach, I don't care if it's the little bitty ones all the way to the adults, you're doing this word. You're putting the truth of God in their minds, and it's the responsibility of the church to do these things. 
Likewise, it'd be the responsibility of mom and dad to do this in their kids. Put this in their mind. It's truth, okay? So here's your three things that we're done. Colossians 1.28, we proclaim Christ admonishing. See, I don't even like the English word because when we think admonish, what do you mean? What do you think you mean? Or what does that remind you of? Encourage. Encourage? I have a negative thing. You're a positive guy. <laughs> I have a negative thing. You're getting on to somebody. That's not the word. The word is you're putting some things in their mind that's true, okay? We admonish every man, and then you got the word didasco, which is actually teaching, okay? With all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. So in other words, your maturity is based on the word of God. You've got to have these things put in your mind. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Romans 15, concerning you, my brother, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to put truth in each other's mind, admonish one another. So anyway, there's a lot of stuff with the mind. Okay, but the only thing that you need to be putting in it is truth. But then you have to obey that, right? Questions?